your head. You're on the winning team. You belong, you belong, you belong, you belong to the Mary Marvel Marching Society. March along, march along. Hello and welcome to Marvel by the Month. My name's Brian Stratton. And I'm Rob Milne. We're going to be talking about all the Marvel comics that came out with a cover date of November 1963. Uh, after taking a week off, uh, we hope you enjoyed our <laughs> fill-in episode. That was a lot of fun to record. We actually have a couple more of those uh, types of things in the can. So, uh, you know, the next time we're not able to uh, hang out and do one of these things, uh, we've got something ready to go. Um that I'm pretty excited about sharing. Yeah. So, but I'm very excited to be here uh, today because uh, we have a guest in studio. It's our first returning guest, uh, Mr. Levi Buchanan. Thank you for having me back. Well, we excited are... to be the first encore guest. We really enjoyed having you and Jess on uh, to talk about Pink Hearts. Thank you. And, uh, and Pink Hearts is getting close to coming out where, it is where getting close right to now? coming out so it should be by the end of october beginning of november nice very nice um so where are you at right now you've got uh you got pencils you got inks you we got, got pencils we got inks we're doing colors right now and then the lettering's all lined up and ready to go um you said everything's on track and rewards have been ordered t-shirts stickers prints that's very cool yeah um, i'm pretty excited I'm, i've been getting all the uh all the all messages the from Kickstarter, yeah. And it's it's fair to say that the Kickstarter was pretty successful. It was successful beyond anything that we imagined. Not only did we... We were fully funded within 13 hours of launching, but by the end of the campaign, we were over double what we had asked for, which unlocked issue two. Yeah. Nice. That's very cool. Yeah. And obviously, um, your appearance on the show was a huge... Huge factor. Your listeners put us over the top. <laughs> the MBTM bump. Yep. Famous. Well, there you go. Uh, so if any local comics creators out there uh, want to get your Kickstarters absolutely guaranteed funded. <laughs> um, within 13 hours. Within 13 hours. No matter what you're looking for. Uh, yeah, we can help you out. I think the lawyer just called. Okay. Uh, let's stick to what we actually know what we're talking about, uh, and that's Marvel Comics. So um, this week, uh, we're talking about all the Marvel Comics that came out with a cover date of November 1963. That means that these issues hit the stands uh, uh, around September 1963. Uh, and how about we uh, do a little bit of um, context for what was going on in the world at the time. You want to kick us off with that? Sure. I love this, except for sometimes. Uh, right. So this is the <laughs> September 1st, 63. Uh, we had an un unidentified suicide bomber who blew himself up in Lenin's mausoleum in Moscow. There's no record of the number of injuries caused because the press didn't report on it. Oh, Moscow. And the incident would not be revealed until after the Soviet Union collapsed. You know, obviously, um, both the U.S. and the Soviet Union were playing sort of geopolitical hardball. Um, but, you know, one was a totalitarian regime and <laughs> the other was not. And uh, yet, yet. I mean, we're working on it. We're yeah. working on it. Um, but, yeah, uh, just the fact that that went completely unreported uh, and no one knew about it until after the Berlin Wall fell. Um that is it's crazy. Bananas. Like, there's, yeah. There's probably still more that we don't know. Oh, probably. Yeah. Uh, also, um, something that was reported on the 20th of September uh, in the Soviet uh, in the Soviet media was John F. Kennedy's proposal for a joint U.S.-Soviet mission to the moon, which um, I didn't know about this. I don't know why or I forgot. 
So he he spoke to the United Nations, told them about this. Pravda commented that the idea was quote premature. <laughs> so they, they were just backing out of it already. Yeah, yeah. and then uh, a few days later. The U.S. Uh, Senate overwhelmingly ratified uh, the Nuclear Test Ban Treaty, 80 to 19. Um, so, you know, again, we've been sort of talking about how over the last few months, uh, the Soviet Union and the United States are slowly backing away from the edge. Um, and uh, the Nuclear Test Ban Treaty was a huge accomplishment. Um, and it would be, unfortunately, one of the very last major accomplishments that Kennedy would get a chance to uh, push through as president. Yeah. And uh, in, in better news. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, a nuclear you know, test ban treaty is pretty good. But uh, in better news, the um, or in what I call Beatles by the month, um, which is my fake other podcast uh, on the 15th, the Beatles and Rolling Stones performed together for the only time at London's Royal Albert Hall ever, ever, ever. Wow. Wow. I'm looking forward to listening to your Beatles fraudcast. <laughs> oh, nice. Um, yeah, and, and other entertainment news. Uh, this was a huge month for TV premieres. Uh, some really well-known um, and famous uh, TV shows uh, had their debut episodes, including um, The Outer Limits, uh, The Fugitive, The Patty Duke Show, Petticoat Junction, and My Favorite Martian. Uh, I didn't realize the fugitive was that early i thought that was that came along a lot later but um that seems like a weird mix uh but again it's the 60s man yeah getting weird i'm gonna set this one over to you the 18th <laughs> of september yeah a little bit of sports news uh so uh on uh, september 18th new york's polo grounds uh which is the longtime home to the new york giants uh, it held its last sports event, um, which was a baseball game between the New York Mets and the Philadelphia Phillies. Um, predictably enough, the Mets lost 5-1 to one because that's pretty much what the Mets did for the first decade um, that, of their existence. Um, but yeah, that was uh, the, uh, the last game that would be played there. Uh, the polo grounds would be torn down um, that winter. And then, um, as we saw in an earlier issue of, uh, of an Iron Man story... Um, the new uh, Met Stadium would be built right near Stark International on Long Island. It possibly was right there too, which might have been. Yeah. <laughs> uh, on the on the fourth of September, this is a pretty big one, so yeah. we'll, we'll go back and forth on this. But uh, black students registered at white schools for the first time in Alabama, despite Governor George Wallace deploying state troopers to prevent integration. That night, the home of Arthur Shores, a black attorney and anti-segregation activist, was bombed for the second time in three weeks, triggering a riot between black Birmingham residents and local police. 20-year-old John Coley was shot and killed during the rioting. Yeah, um, this is the beginning of a, an extended period of unrest um, in uh, Alabama uh, uh, just about uh, a little over a week and a half later. Uh, on the 15th of uh, September, um, a white supremacist terrorist Tidenbaum exploded in the basement of Birmingham's 16th Street Baptist Church, um, killing four African-American girls and injuring 22 others in a Sunday school class. Um, the four Klansmen were responsible for the bombing, according to the FBI. Um, the man who assembled the bomb would not be convicted until 1977. Um, which seems like a travesty of justice, which until... isn't, which is insane until you hear the rest of it. Um, <laughs> so his driver wasn't convicted until 2001. The man who actually planted the bomb wasn't convicted until 2002. Um, and then the fourth 
man who was involved died in 1994 and he never wound up facing any justice for his involvement in the bombing. Um, so as we have said before, um, talking about civil rights stuff, uh, this stuff feels like the ancient past, but this is very much in living memory. Um, so and it, and it wasn't just yeah. the civil rights struggle, you know, this is people right. getting bombed yeah, by yeah. white supremacists, yep. which I wish th we were talking about this 60 years ago and not talking about it anymore. Yeah. But, uh, here we are, but here we are. So, um, now that we brought you down, yeah, let's uh, let's listen to uh, a little bit of interstitial music um, and take a pause. Uh, and when we come back, we will start talking about uh, all the Marvel comics with a cover date of November 1963. So stay tuned. <laughs> Let's get into some funny books. The uh, that was a heavy, heavy history lesson we just had. So, let's talk about Strange Tales, Little Johnny Storm. How about that? Um, so, Strange Tales number one fourteen: The Human Torch meets Captain America. What? Written by Stan Lee, art by Jack Kirby, with Dick Ayers. It's the return of Captain America. Who's wearing little red trunks for yeah, some reason. It's, it's not really Captain America. Oh, it's, man. It's, it's, you spoiled the ending immediately. It says right there, please don't reveal. <laughs> Come on, Rob. I'm sorry. I'm bad at this. Uh, it's actually the Torch's foe, the acrobat, disguised as Cap, in yep. order to pull off a bank heist. For some reason, that seemed like the best way to pull off the bank heist. Yeah, well, he lures everyone into a false sense of security by, you know, dressing up as America's World War II hero. Suddenly and... returned. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. At the end of the story, there's a note that says, this story was really a test to see if you too would like Captain America to return. As usual, your letters will give us the answer. Yeah. That's what they're saying, but that doesn't really work out, like the timing-wise, right? Right. They uh, they had already planned on this. They were just teasing it um, and getting some letters and interest. So, uh, but Cap does this because Cap returns four months later. We know that the the work back schedule is usually about six months yep. at the fastest. So it's hard to believe they were sincere at all. Yeah. Um, it, it's a fun little story. I mean, it's it's um, it's pretty basic. The Human Torch thinks he's working with Captain America, um, and then uh, you know Cap tells him he doesn't need the help anymore. Torch gets butt hurt about it, uh, and then we see Cap robbing a bank. So um, you know it, it's and it's only what like twelve or thirteen pages long, but it, it I think it's really worthwhile um, if only for the fact that um, Stanley writes. Uh, this issue and Jack Kirby draws it um, because Jack was the co-creator of Captain America. So uh, it's always nice when you get to see, you know, Jack working um, on a story on, on a book that he doesn't typically work on. Um, and uh, uh, something worth mentioning, Stan Lee writes every single story this month. Yeah. He, he, that's part of why I think we didn't see him writing more than one or two um, yeah. for a couple months there. He was busy getting ahead of things yeah uh so yeah stan is um not only does he write everything but just this this is a really clean line work too for kirby yeah. this specific issue i i just thought there was some nice art in here and there's not a big splashy panel but it's a uh, solidly drawn when you yeah. look at it it feels like he took time to illustrate it's almost like that atlantis scene mm -hmm. that we had in the in the fantastic four annual yeah I, I think kirby was probably pretty excited about bringing cap back even if it's fake cap fake cap point, yeah so. 
Focap. And he wasn't going to let anyone draw him but him. So, yeah. Yep. Well, also, this issue does have some more Doctor Strange. Um, this is the the return of the omnipotent Baron Mordo. Uh, this is written by Stan Lee and art by Steve Ditko. Pretty simple story. Mordo, <laughs> disguised as Sir Clive Bentley, lures Doctor Strange to Bentley's castle with a plea for help. Then Mordo traps Strange with some kind of scented candle. Strange and Mordo face off in a magical duel, which Strange wins. Yeah, it's a paralyzing candle, I think, is what, what, what his trap was. Yeah, yeah. It's magic. What are you going to do? It's magic, kids. Don't worry about it. <laughs> There's not a lot of um, action in it, much like we've seen in all the other uh, Doctor Strange stories. They There's often just a panel of, like, two guys looking at each other intensely and then some some ghostly things are happening or some magic kids uh so uh you know it's not there's not a bunch of action but still doctor doctor strange continues and they've noted that uh because of letters is they're continuing it so this is another place where they've said because you wrote in and demanded it doctor strange keeps going so it's another uh sort of fan service fan interaction piece yeah and it's uh as all the Doctor Strange stories have been so far, um, it's like a five-page story. Um, and so even though it's not much of a story, uh, Ditko is really trying to cram as much content as he can uh, into, you know, five pages. Uh, so he's working on a nine-panel grid, really teeny-tiny stuff. That is the most Vincent Price I have seen Strange look like in any of the issues I've been reading for this oh, yeah. show. Yeah, like it, This issue doesn't even hide it. <laughs> yeah, it's... it's he, he like... <laughs> He's just watching a movie with Vincent Price. I just imagine an 8 by 10 just kind of (laughs) up on the desk, occasionally glancing up to it. Yeah, Eyebrow. (laughs) Uh, So usually Tales to Astonish is the uh, shortest straw uh, who walks us through this um, as a little Ant-Man joke. Right. Um, But uh, why don't you uh, take us through? Yeah. So uh, the title of this story is called The Birth of Giant Man, um, which kind of gives away what the story is all about. So... Uh, in this issue, uh, no more Ant-Man. Hooray! Um, but we still have uh, Henry Pym. Um, we still have the Wasp. Um, and he has adopted his second superheroic persona, uh, Giant Man. Um, which, as you might be able to guess, uh, means that he can now get really big instead of really small. Um, so he's developed a new formula. Uh, it lets him grow up to 12 feet tall. Um, he goes a little crazy with it uh, in the splash page uh, at the beginning of the story where he gets so big he uh, literally crashes through the house uh, that he's in. Yeah, he's he, he's looking somewhere in the 25, 30 feet tall there. Uh, and um, Henry Pym just classically screwing up right out of the gate. <laughs> Way to go, man. Yeah. Uh, Henry Pym, uh, as a scientist, is all about coulda and really, you know, light on the shoulda. Uh, but what he winds up doing, uh, is he, he refines the formula. Um, he gets it to the point where he can grow, uh, exactly 12 feet tall, which seems like the sweet spot for him. Um, and while he is demonstrating, uh, his new growth formula, um, a new villain called the living eraser, uh, shows up and erases them both. He just kind of like swipes, he swipes his hands through the air and it is literally as if the person is a drawing who's being erased. So it's the kind of thing that works really well in a comic book. What's the Daffy Duck cartoon? Duck Amuck. That's Duck-a-muck. the thing it reminded me of. Is yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just where he breaks the third wall to look to to tease the animator, and the animator just kind of wipes him out of existence bit by bit. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So it has a lot of that mojo going. Um. And uh. But when the Living Eraser does this, he's transporting his victims to Dimension Z, 
where he's also been uh, erasing and capturing atomic scientists. Uh, long story short, Giant Man and the Wasp free themselves and the atomic scientists. Uh, they transport everyone back to Earth's dimension, um, and they take the living eraser's eraser with them so that he can't return to Earth. Uh, and the Earth is saved once again. Huzzah! Yay! I do like how the Living Eraser, his motions just look like some like weird 80s rap moves. Like uh, <laughs> like he's just sort of dancing in front of the mirror trying to practice when he's uh, flinging his arms around and just erasing people. Yeah, like, like kind of doing a robot or like karate moves yes. or something like that. Looks like he's playing Wii. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what it looks like. This is how they developed the Wii. Yeah, so, uh, you know, outside of the fact that... Uh, you know, Henry Pym is now Giant Man. Nothing much else to say about this, uh, except for the fact that it's another Stan and Jack uh, issue. So um, these guys were real busy this month. Yeah, and they were um, churning out the villains. That's yeah. that's the thing. They seem to be. There's no more like just some guy named Reynard. They're um, they're bringing in everybody gets a special name and a super villain style thing now. So. Uh, you know, I think they found that worked. Yeah. Dr. Doom. Yeah, it wasn't. Yeah. Not just an endless parade of people who can imitate other people. Why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about what Thor's up to this month? Ooh, I will. I would love to. Uh, so in our journey into mystery number 98, we have a uh, challenged by the human Cobra written by Stanley or by Don Heck. So Don's still in the mix here. Jack didn't couldn't draw everything. No. Uh, the story begins with Thor's love life, front and center. So we we had, uh, got in got into that a little bit last issue. He's he's angry at Odin for not allowing him to reveal his identity to Jane Foster. Um, he he's you know keen on her, but Dad says no. Um, meanwhile, Klaus Voorhees, no relation to uh, Jason that uh, we know of. Yeah, uh, possibly yeah. actually. Um, this could be a a really close relative. And the and time frame fits. Uh, he uh, Klaus Voorhees is a research assistant to Professor Schechtor. Um, he poisons the professor and himself with radioactive cobra venom that he has taken the antidote for. The venom naturally gives him cobra powers because it's a 1960s Marvel comic, and he, so he launches a crime wave. So uh, he takes control uh, of an entire uh, chemical manufacturing plant so that he can make gallons of cobra serum to create a vast army of others like himself. Thor intervenes just in time, um, and the two of them start going at it. Yeah, and Thor, who's really looking for an excuse to blow off steam because he's mad at Dad and is you know not being able to ask his girlfriend out, uh, fights him and tracks him down to Dr. Andrews's office, which is uh, Andrews is where Jane Foster went at the end of last issue when she quit. When uh, she found a new doctor slash boyfriend. Yeah, creepy. Yeah. Um, so Andrews gives in to the Cobra immediately, which infuriates Jane. So uh, Thor saves Jane and the Cobra escapes, but she decides to go back to lame Dr. Blake and try to get her weird job as his nurse girlfriend back. Of all the things we read, this is sort of the most 1960s uh, comic, I feel, uh, that we read this month. Just because, like we were talking about last month, um, Jane Foster's she completely blurs the line between employer and love interest. Um, yeah. It's like in that kind of weird, gross Mad Men kind of way where like all the women in the secretarial pool were basically just waiting for an executive to take a shine to them and then, you know, move them out to the suburbs. Yeah. Um, it's gross. Yeah. Um, 
it it's hasn't fully manifested as gross it's it's uh there's there's a few grosser things i think the wasp behavior in, oh yeah in, in a number of places but in uh the uh giant man issue as well she's just so keen on every guy that's the thing is i think i think you had said once like you're fairly acclimated to it now because you've now read several years of this yeah it still kind of stops me in my tracks when I read <laughs> button up those ruby lips honey and just like it's just a needle across the record yeah Yeah, it uh it it, it is weird i mean just because we are reading these things week in and week out um we are sort of like the frog being slowly boiled alive uh which is why it's really fun to bring someone in who doesn't do this every week i imagine it would be like me telling my nephew to watch revenge of the nerds and then like a week later having to be like why did you do that to me that was you thought that was funny yeah yeah Yeah. that has happened a couple of times to me with um with 80s things where i was like oh yeah i forgot about that really problematic part you know i i tell which is usually between the opening and the closing credits (laughs) (laughs) this really sweet core yep surrounded by just misogyny racism yeah, <laughs> yeah. and all ramp, that. rampant homophobia oh yes for sure um but you know what there's none of that in the backup story uh yeah this so. is uh odin battles ymir king of the ice giants and it's written by stan lee uh art by jack kirby with don heck so this is another one of the tales of asgard um backups which is a regular backup feature in the thor comics uh where Jack just basically gets to do a straight up literal interpretation of Norse mythology. Um, and it's very Jack Kirby. Yeah. You can tell how much fun he's having. Oh yeah. It's uh he's it's Odin defeating the the king of the ice giants, Ymir, as as the title Ymir. I'm I'm I don't know. I I don't think he's gonna get mad at me. He he was defeated. Um <laughs> After splitting a mountain with his sword and sending Ymir's frost giants into an abyss where searchers fire demons live, uh, Odin lures Ymir to an arid volcanic plain and summons flames from below to trap Ymir there. Awesome. It's a King Crimson album cover yes. come to life. <laughs> That's exactly it. Yeah. All of these are. They just sound like a heavy metal lyrics all day long. And yeah. So I, I've actually been reading ahead in these. Um, and, you know, right now, it, Kirby's art is still, you know, it's a fairly restrained, um, kind of really classic, almost like Prince Valiant style mm-hmm. um, fantasy illustration. But. Um, it's not too much further from this. It's like another 15 or 20 issues where he is just going like full out crazy Kirby, like bold lines and just ridiculousness. Uh, it looks really, really like a prototype of the new gods, um, which I'm nice. super yeah. excited to get to. But, um, but yeah, he's, he's obviously like, this is what he has wanted to be doing with Thor all along. And he's finally getting a chance to do it in these backup stories. Um, and he's not even trying to tell big stories here. Uh, I mean, he, he puts like four panels on a page because he just wants to do, you know, comparatively big illustrations um, and just really go nuts with it. Uh, and he's, like you said, Levi, he's having a ton of fun with it. Yeah. At no point is Odin in danger no. in this story. Oh, no, there's no dramatic tension. <laughs> yeah, the, the action line is, well, it's a straight, it's an M dash. <laughs> <laughs> well said. Yep. Well, Brian, do you want to take us through uh, Iron Man's next adventure here? Yes, I do. And um, Odin might not have been in any danger, but um, Iron Man is definitely in danger in Tales of Suspense number 47, where he meets the mysterious Melter. 
Levi, guess what his power is? I don't know. He melts hearts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's this is another one of those. Hey, we've got you know nine issues to put out this month, so let's come up with a bad guy idea real quick. Um, so uh, we have uh, the Melter. Um, he is an industrialist named Bruno Horgan, which is a pretty great name for a villain um he lost uh his government contracts when tony stark discovered that he was using inferior materials uh in the things that he was making for the government and so uh uh he's facing financial ruin uh he is uh going through his factory trying to figure out what the manufacturing problem was uh, and he realizes there's a malfunctioning device in his factory that was uh causing his raw materials to melt. And so he gets the uh, brilliant idea to uh, turn that into a weapon. Uh, he makes it into a ray that he puts on his chest um, and it can melt iron. And um, he decides it's like, hey, uh, Tony Stark is my rival. Tony Stark is Iron Man's boss. Uh, I have a ray that can melt things. I'm coming up with the beginning of a, a pretty good supervillain. It's a plan. 1960s Marvel comics. So he uh, raids a, a number of closets. Like his, his outfit is something like he's got these <laughs> um, sort of lime striped leotards with, uh, or tights with uh, a green leotard over it. And then his, uh, his ray is just sort of strapped to his chest with a weird belt. And he's got like a bat helmet and yeah. a purple cape. He just like, threw this thing together he's got pirate sleeves it is very know. it's very much the sort of thing that like my six-year-old kid uh will just throw together like he'll go into his room he'll get into his costume trunk and uh just start throwing things on and you know he'll walk out as like i'm a super villain it's like okay you're a super villain it um, totally counts in the 60s yep absolutely let's go to the dictionary point at a word and add er to the end of it <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so anyway, the Melter um, actually winds up being a pretty uh, long-lived Iron Man villain. Uh, he shows up a bunch of times. I did uh, not see that coming. No, but um, <laughs> I think we've talked about this before. Iron Man has really struggled to come up with uh, halfway decent villains uh, that stick around, um, you know, month after month. Uh, I think this is only the second one that he's gotten that actually reappears at any point. So when does that kick in for him? When when do when does he start getting like a full good? Well, uh, villain set. I think like in a month or two, the Mandarin shows. Up. Okay. Yeah. So that's going to be, that's his first major, major villain. Okay. Um, and then it's pretty much, uh, you know, guy in suit of armor um, for a while. <laughs> but we saw Crimson Dynamo uh, last, yeah. last week. Which so, is yeah. classic guy in suit of armor. Yeah. Yeah. Um, especially because he's a, you know, the Soviet guy in suit of armor. Exactly. Yep. The Melter, um, he goes after a bunch of uh, Stark's plants uh, and military bases. Um, Stark and Iron Man fail to stop him several times. Uh, once again, Tony Stark is brought to the brink of losing his government contracts as a result. But then uh, Stark fabricates a version of the Iron Man armor uh, that's made of aluminum. Uh, so the Melter ray doesn't affect aluminum, apparently. <laughs> um, and uh, uh. the Melter runs <laughs> away and Stark... Chalks it up as a win. The aluminum solution is so funny. Um, it seems like as long as the guy doesn't hit me, I'm going to be okay. One thing I saw in this, and maybe you've seen this in other issues, is I in the very beginning it's written by Stanley, and then it's it's interpreted by mm. Steve Ditko instead of drawn or illustrated. Do you know what the what yeah. the origin of that is? Uh, not not exactly for this issue, but um, 
Ditko and Lee had a kind of a, an infamously tense working relationship with a lot of stuff. Um, so uh, Stan had talked about it a number of times that uh, with with both the Spider-Man stories that Ditko illustrated and also uh, the Doctor Strange stories that a lot of times Ditko would just bring him the finished pages and he would explain to Stan what the story was and then Stan would script it. Okay. Um, I don't know if that's what happened here, but or maybe it's the opposite here of the the Marvel method. You know, mm-hmm. they're 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 trying to paint the Marvel method a little bit more than this isn't perfectly scripted. This is yeah. Uh, this is given to the artist to then interpret. So. Yeah, but um, definitely uh, Ditko was really vocal about um, in later years about how he felt he deserved a lot more credit for uh, for the writing duties. So the rivalry had started this early. Yeah, it was a tense relationship. Okay. Yep. Um, and it it the, the it comes to a head around like issue thirty or forty um, on Spider Man mm-hmm. when. Ditko just walks, um, and that's that. And then Ramita takes over. Uh, let, I think we got one more issue to get through uh, with our quick hits. Um, let's talk a little bit about uh, Nick Fury. And Rob, you want to uh, to walk us through uh, what Sergeant Fury was up to this month? Sure. This is a uh, Sergeant Fury and his Howling Commandos number four, Lord Haha's Last Laugh, written by Stan Lee, art by Jack Kirby with George Bell. This is World War II. The story begins with Nick Fury meeting a Red Cross nurse named Pamela Hawley during the Blitz. When he meets her again, it's in the castle of her family manor, where Lord Peter Hawley, her father, has asked for the Howling Commando's help. His son Percy is Lord Haha, an Englishman who <laughs> has been broadcasting propaganda for the Nazis after being captured in Berlin while reporting for his father's paper. Yeah, and so his father is trying to tell Fury that his son's been captured. Uh, he doesn't really believe in any of this stuff, but the the Nazis are forcing him to broadcast propaganda against the Allies. Yeah. Yeah, but that's he, not the case. No, it turns out yeah. he is totally a Nazi sympathizer. So uh, he's a he's true believer in the Nazi cause, uh, but he's killed while trying to flee from the Howlers. So... Uh, so it's kind of a happy ending. I guess so. Uh, except the Howlers also lose one of their own, Junior Juniper. Yeah, so as they're trying to extricate themselves, uh, Junior Juniper gets uh, all shot up and and uh, kind of has a, an off-panel death. Uh, this is pretty early on to be losing one of your characters. I kind of assume that Stan and Jack kind of plotted from the beginning. It's like, we're going to introduce all these guys, but then we're going to kill one of them off a few issues in to kind of like it drop raises them. the stakes it yeah. does it's like raise the, the first stakes. five minutes of quiet place like here's what you're in for right <laughs> exactly yep so uh, my favorite bit in this is when uh fury goes to lord holly's um and has to like shave and uh and drink tea out of a cup with his pinky out yes. and things uh it's just it's a fun bit of him being civilized yeah that's uh that's pretty much our uh the quick hit issues that we're gonna do um we're gonna take another quick break um when we come back we're gonna talk a little fantastic four and x-men so please don't go nowheres welcome back and now it's time to take a look at issue number 20 of fantastic four the mysterious molecule man written by stan lee with art by jack kirby and Dick Ayers. Uh, it's the first appearance of the Molecule Man. Um, not to be confused with the Miracle Man, 
who showed up in the third issue of Fantastic Four and was never heard from again. <laughs> he winds up being a pretty important character down the road um, for Marvel Comics. Um, if you read the Secret Wars comics in the 80s, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with those, Levi, but... No. So, okay. So there's... Uh, all-powerful being called the Beyonder. Yes. Um, okay. Okay. So in Secret Wars 1, he abducts a bunch of heroes and villains, puts them on a battle world, and makes them all fight. Um, and then uh, Secret Wars 2, uh, the Beyonder comes to Earth and has sort of like fish-out-of-water hijinks, but also <laughs> is uh, an omnipowerful being who nearly winds up wrecking reality. Okay. Um, and in both of those stories, uh, there's this guy, the Molecule Man, who is a pivotal character in there. Um uh, and this is where he first shows up. So and he remains to this day like he's he constantly he's he hangs out with the Fantastic Four. Yep. And he's just so powerful. There are also in the whole collapse of universes back to Earth 616. Sort mm -hmm. of, uh, he is he plays a pivotal role there, too. Gotcha. So, yeah, he's he whenever they need this like weird nigh omnipotent thing, mm -hmm. uh, he shows up. I'm curious to see how then his uh, how his face evolves. Yes, like over time, you know, because yeah. this is rough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so yeah, what does it look like later on? I think he still has that in the at least in the 80s. Right. You yeah. the, the lightning bolt scars mm -hmm. on his face and, and the then, jagged lips. The jagged lips, which are also sort of lightning bolt patterns. It's it was a design that kind of like bugged me when I was younger, but then like as I acclimated to it, like I really liked it. Stop me if you've heard this before. He's a frustrated lab assistant. What? Uh, he uh, he feels like he's not being properly uh, rewarded for the work that he does. No. Um, <laughs> and because he's so preoccupied with feeling unappreciated, he makes a mistake uh, in the lab. Um, explosion results, uh, and it transforms him into the Molecule Man. So what can the Molecule Man do? He has the power to manipulate matter on a molecular level, uh, and he also gets those cool lightning bolt scars on his face mm -hmm. um, and uh, kind of gets a receding hairline uh, around the same time. Sort of winds up uh, with like a um, like a Joe Bluth slicked back uh, hairstyle. <laughs> yeah. And uh, at this point in, in the character's origin, he's not able to affect organic molecules, uh, and that winds up being important later on in the story. He's just figuring out what he can do, right. but he can do pretty much anything. Yeah. Uh, so luckily he doesn't know <laughs> all that he can do. Yet. Yeah. So you know that um, Molecule Man is a big deal because when he shows up, uh, the Watcher kidnaps the Fantastic Four to warn them about him. So this is only the second time the Watcher's shown up. Big headed alien who lives on the moon um, observes everything that goes on and uh, is just like freaky and otherworldly. And just cool yeah one of the cool. coolest concepts that they introduce yeah yeah and so he he warns the fantastic four he shows them uh, molecule man's origin uh then he sends them back to new york where the molecule man has already started messing with stuff um he's lifted the baxter building high into the air he's using a magic wand to focus his powers against the fantastic four like turning a brick wall into a fan to tangle reed <laughs> up um and creating a fireproof shield to protect himself from the torch etc etc the uh, Fantastic Four is just completely overmatched. They wind up uh, not being able to lay a glove on him, um, and they actually wind up retreating uh, through the subway uh, to get away from him because, you know, their headquarters is floating above Times Square, um, and they don't know what to do here. They just get out of Dodge. Um, and as they do this, the Molecule Man seals off Manhattan uh, in a giant glass dome, uh, and he orders New Yorkers to find and capture the Fantastic Four, uh, which every criminal in town is totally down with. So 
Um, so they start leading a manhunt uh, to track the Fantastic Four down. And the Fantastic Four winds up getting uh, some unlikely allies in the form of the Yancey Street Gang. <laughs> um, ben Grimm's old rivals, uh, they help uh, the FF get to uh, Alicia Masters' apartment. And Reed gets the idea to uh, have Alicia make statues of them and then have her call for the Molecule Man and say that she's uh, she's got them. Um, when the Molecule Man arrives, he sees the statues of the Fantastic Four. He tries to use his powers to distort them, um, but it turns out they're really the Fantastic Four under plaster. Um, and because he can't use his power on uh, organic molecules, he suffers feedback. He's knocked out. Um, Reed grabs his magic wand and the Watcher grabs the Molecule Man and takes him somewhere where he can't harm anyone. And that's it. So the Watcher gets the assist on this one, um, yeah. as does Alicia Masters. Uh, Fantastic Four, eh, it's pretty much a win. Yeah. <laughs> it's the usual Fantastic Four. Like, well, the bad guy's gone and uh, everyone's okay. Yeah. Cool. Reset. So, yeah. But just like cool, weird, like proto-cosmic issue of the Fantastic Four. It's a hint of where this comic is going to go and how just wonderfully bizarre it's going to get. So cool. Uh, let's talk X-Men. Second right. issue already. Yes. This one, I remember reading a zillion times as a younger man uh, in the in the Marvel Masterworks and other places. But I remember it being a lot cooler. The Vanisher is not an A-list X-Men. No. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they started strong with Magneto and then they they now we have the Vanisher. A little uh, sophomore slump. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so this uh, X-Men number two is called No One Can Stop the Vanisher. It's written by Stan Lee. Art by Jack Kirby with Paul Reinman. Uh, it's the debut of the Vanisher, a lesser known mutant villain who has the power to teleport. So the first thing we see him do is rob a bank. The guards don't take him seriously until he just vanishes with the money. Uh, he's he's pretty, uh, I don't know, he's a very weird looking villain too. I some reason I just feel like if if Tim Burton lost all his hair, he could pull this guy off. <laughs> that yeah. long face reminds me of um, the wizard. Yes, the yeah. episode that I was yeah. on earlier. Yes, yeah. yeah. it's, it's a it, it's a typical like Jack Kirby drawn a guy. He's a bad guy. Yeah, he, he's exaggerated. Yeah. Elongate his face. Yep, exactly. <laughs> or scrunch it one way or the other. Yeah, um, or put some lightning bolts on it. Or pull his eyes like to the sides of his head. <laughs> this is a villain that you could defeat by just kind of making sure you walk directly toward him. <laughs> Get him right in the Admiral Akbar space that he can't see straight ahead. Uh, yeah, the so Professor X summons the X-Men to the school in order to brief them on the Vanisher. At this point, anti-mutant sentiment is not a big part of the or is not a part at all of the X-Men story. Yeah. So when they go out, Angel is mobbed by female fans. According to Stan Lee, yeah. this is how women behave uh, all the time. <laughs> um, you know what I'm realizing, though? Like the reason that he has like crowds of women doing this, like because it happens like in Fantastic Four, not in this month, but in previous months. It's he's just going off of the the um, Ed Sullivan show reaction to the Beatles. That's all he's doing. Like, right. This is what this is. It's like the screaming female they're, fans. They're crazy for these, right. these young, you know, stars, right. celebrities. Yeah. So. so that's how he's getting across the idea that these guys are big deals. <laughs> that by... makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
Oh, Stan. Uh, <laughs> Cyclops saves some construction workers who are extremely grateful instead of hateful, as mm-hmm. they are, as everyone is later for the X-Men. Uh, and Ice Cream Man gives Ice Man a ride to the school. Yeah. So he jumps into the ice cream truck. He does and... charge him for the ice cream that he eats along the way, That's though. true. Three yeah. chocolate pops. <laughs> <laughs> the details. Yeah, well, he's, he's got a teenager's metabolism, so he can get away with that. Oh, Bobby. Um, Bobby. Uh, before sending them out to face the Vanisher, Professor X runs the X-Men through the danger room. Oh, yeah. It's the first time they uh, they call their, um, you know, testing grounds the danger room. Meanwhile, Vanisher shows up at the Pentagon and announces his intention to steal top secret defense plans. Yeah. He doesn't steal the defense plans. He just says, I'm coming back for these. <laughs> I'm gonna just watch me. <laughs> Uh, so he's starting to make a name for himself, and every criminal in the underworld wants to be in his gang. Mm-hmm. FBI agent Fred Duncan, last seen in an early issue of FF, contacts Professor X with a telepathic transmitter that Xavier gave him. Totally just the government's full support at this point. Yeah, they're just, they're a straight up team of superheroes. Like there's no, there's no weirdness about them being mutants or anything like that. Yeah. They're just, you know, they're like the Avengers or the Fantastic Four. As the X-Men arrive, Vanisher appears and steals the defense plans. Uh, The G-Men and X-Men try and fail to stop him. Vanisher demands $10 million (laughs) tax-free, or he'll give the plans to the commies. He's a really practical villain. Like, he he thinks through. It's like, I want $10 million. Don't try to tax it. (laughs) I'm watching you. They're going to write him a check? What's the deal? Yeah. (laughs) He'll steal defense plans from the Pentagon, but he's not going to commit tax fraud. (laughs) That's just a bridge too far. That's how they got Capone. Yeah. Which back then, like the high tax rate, he's probably paying 80%. Oh, exactly. Yeah. 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 He's not going to walk away with only $2 million. It's like, come on. He could have maybe set his price higher. I don't know. Anyway, the (laughs) X-Men, they return to Washington again with Professor X now. And they have a showdown with the Vanisher on the White House lawn. Um, Professor X uses his powers to erase the Vanisher's memories. So the Vanisher doesn't uh, remember that he has powers at all, um, which is it, it's an amazingly non-action scene yeah. of, of just a stern face from Professor X. Well, it's not just that. So the Vanisher doesn't even want to engage or defeat them. He just, I need you to leave. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah the most it. frightening. Nef- I need you to leave. <laughs> I'm going to taunt your costume and ask you to disperse. Wow. And then, yeah, then Professor X shows up really stern and makes him forget. Yeah. Oh, yep. He just has to scrunch his face a tiny bit and that guy's wiped out, um, which leaves the, uh, the big question unanswered. <laughs> Why not just have Professor X solve every problem going forward? Uh, why does he even have the X-Men? Because he, yeah. Uh, yeah. he, this this was the cool part of this issue, though, is realizing that he was that powerful. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, before you knew he could, like, have an intercom in your head. But, you know, you really get the, the hang of the fact that he can do almost anything. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, he's not just creepy guy in a wheelchair. So well, that's the thing is when I because it had been a long time since I had visited, you know, this early in the X-Men and I so I would say for the first 80%, I was like, wow, Professor X is awful. He's arrogant. He's cruel. He's condescending. Yeah. yeah. And I, I think that it kind of left me. I'd forgotten about that. And I was really, I was like, I guess I'll just slog through the rest of this if he's going to be a jerk like that. <laughs> and there's a thing like, oh, that's right. Because he is that powerful, that that fuels his, his arrogance, his sense of being above it all. He is the, 
and also I feel like this is one of the first issues where I for the phrase homo uh, superior yeah seems yeah. to pop up mm-hmm. which is one of those things I latched onto as a kid oh yeah oh, yeah yeah which is one of those really cool like bigger than life sounding concepts of yep. of homo superior yeah and yet it sounds scientific and makes it feel of this world exactly too. yeah mm-hmm. it's just brilliant. Yep. And it doesn't take long for the anti-mutant stuff to start cropping up um, in X-Men. I think it's just a couple issues away, really. Um, And there's a very good reason for that when we get into it. You know, we'll talk more about that. But, um, you know, there's, you know, we've talked a lot about how the issues of the day influenced uh, Marvel storytelling. And by reading interviews with Stan Lee, uh, you know, that came out years later and, and sort of reading between the lines of some of the stuff that he says at the time, you can tell that he's trying to figure out a way, like, how do I talk about civil rights in comics? And well, you create a science fiction bigotry. um, Mm -hmm. And then you use that as your lens to examine the issues of the day. So um, once the anti-mutant stuff starts coming in, you'll start seeing that, yeah, he is literally playing off of a lot of what's in the headlines. um, But you know, He's still got to be able to sell comic books south of the Mason Dixon line. Yep. So he's filtering it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, and I don't think a lot of people at the time even realized explicitly what he was trying to do. And it's in an issue through reading, you know, stuff that had come out this last month. There's yeah. an issue, and I, I'm I'm trying to find it. I can't remember which one it is. Where it reprints a, an old page, and it's a it's a blurb from Stan Lee where he mm-hmm. asks the audience. Do you want me to start putting politics? Yeah. Into this, he, oh, he addresses yeah. it head on. Yep. Do, do you want to read a reflection of the world in which we currently live in mm-hmm. inside these books? And hopefully the answer was yes. Yeah. Um, not, not that it was just like, you know, I'm doing this anyway. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to pretend that it was your idea. Right. Like the right. Captain America thing. That's, exactly. Yeah. He started to do this all over the place and that's engaging the audience, but also giving himself a pass for what he's, uh, what he wants to do. So I found it in September of 1967. Many keepers of the faith have demanded that we take a more definite stand on current problems, such Mm -hmm. as Vietnam, civil rights, and the increase of crime, to name a few. Of course, you've probably noticed that it's not too easy to keep our own convictions out of the soul-stirring sagas we toss at you, but in our own bumbling fashion, we do try. Anyway, since it's you who are the true editors of Marveldom, it's time for another impassioned poll. Should we editorialize more or less or keep things in their present fouled up form? We'll announce the verdict as soon as one of us learns to count so we can <laughs> so we can tabulate the votes. But till then, in case you haven't noticed, we've got a little suggestion for you. You know, and that's, you know, namely think Marvel. Mm-hmm. But just the hint here by by September of 67, he's like, this is the this is the world we live in. Yep. And this is my opportunity to comment on it. This is my opportunity to bend the arc yeah, and then uh-huh. he goes for it and yeah. succeeds yep. so wildly i mean grant so this statement is in september of 67 so this is four years after yep. the right. issues we're looking at you look at the i wouldn't call it low level the mid-level misogyny the fact that there are the cast in these in these issues are 99.5 percent white mm-hmm. yeah it, it's definitely the world in which he he exists in and he's definitely a, a product an animal of that era and the way in which you know certain things are handled, yeah. the way in which certain issues and language is used, so you kind of juxtapose that with where he wants to be. Mm-hmm. Yep. I don't know. It's it's fascinating to watch this develop month by month by month. <laughs> yeah, this is the. Uh, I mean, this is part of why I love the Beatles too. I always felt like Lennon under started to understand their fame and the power that had very quickly politically, mm-hmm. and 
and he started to use that. And that's a lot of why, I mean, I love their music, but I love, I love what he wanted to do with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a good trick. Um, well, cool. On that note, let's take uh, another quick break. Um, we come back, we'll talk Spider-Man and Avengers on Marvel by the Month. All right, welcome back to Marvel by the Month. Uh, we're going to talk a little Amazing Spider-Man now. Uh, this is Amazing Spider-Man number six, face-to-face with the Lizard is written by stan lee with art by steve ditko um we have another first appearance um this month uh in this issue we're going to meet the lizard uh who winds up being a regularly reappearing uh spider-man villain and this is where it all begins um so the lizard uh is dr kurt connors he's a surgeon who lost his right arm in combat during world war ii after years of studying reptiles uh he came up with the idea Uh, to develop a serum to help him regrow his missing limb. Uh, But he did kind of too good of a job with it. Um, After he took the serum, uh, he continued to mutate after regrowing his arm, uh, transforming into a humanoid lizard creature with progressively diminishing intelligence and increasing savagery. He also, uh, at this point, has the ability to command reptiles telepathically. Um, And, of course, he secretly runs the world's governments. uh, But that's a different uh, fringe interest podcast that we do. Like most terrible things, uh, the lizard originated in Florida. Uh, J. Jonah Jameson, uh, he hears rumors of this lizard creature. uh, And so in the uh, pages of the Daily Bugle, he publishes a challenge to Spider-Man to defeat the lizard. Peter Parker is totally up for it. He he's ready to go down to Florida and, and beat up this lizard guy. Uh, but he has no way to get down there because he's, <laughs> he's Peter Parker. He's Peter Parker. He's a <laughs> high school student and he's poor. So he tries to convince uh, J. Jonah Jameson to send him there. But Jonah reveals that even though he published this challenge, he's not even convinced that the lizard actually exists at all. He thinks he's just an urban legend. So uh, Peter decides to uh, change Jonah's mind by uh, switching into Spider-Man. He pays Jonah a visit, tells him that he plans to accept Jonah's challenge. uh, And Jonah had better send a photographer down to Florida to cover it um, in the least subtle uh, manipulation uh, I think I've ever seen. When Peter returns to Jameson um, to see if that had the desired effect, uh, Jonah tells Peter that the two of them are going to Florida together. Oh, so, whoops. Yeah. So uh, they get in a plane, um, which despite the fact that it's the early 60s, it doesn't crash somehow. Um, I, I think I've mentioned like when I do the history notes for these uh, episodes, it seems like every five to seven days, there's a major airline disaster uh, where like dozens of people wind up getting killed. I don't know why anyone ever got on planes in the 60s. But uh, yeah, Jonah and uh, Peter make it to Florida just fine. Peter comes up with an excuse to uh, get away from Jonah, says he has to get gear for his camera and uh, things like that. So he switches into Spider-Man. He heads to Dr. Connor's house um, because uh, Dr. Connor's is a lizard expert. So he's like, okay. I'm going to go talk to this guy, see if he's got any advice for fighting this giant lizard creature. While he's heading over to Dr. Connor's house, he comes across the lizard. Uh, The two of them get into a scrap. During a break in the fight, uh, Spidey uh, winds up getting to uh, Connor's house. He talks to Martha Connors, uh, Kurt's wife, discovers that Connors is the lizard. And when the lizard shows up, uh, he sees uh, Spider-Man talking to his wife and his son, um, and he runs off in shame. So he doesn't want them to see him like this. So Spider-Man knows that Connors is the lizard. 
and uh, he knows how he got that way. Now he's going to use his Peter Parker science brain uh, to whip up an antidote. He thinks he's got it right. He just needs to get the lizard to take it. So he tracks the lizard down to an old Spanish fort, uh, fights a lizard and an entire reptile army. <laughs> During the fight, he forces the lizard to drink the antidote. Uh, after a dramatic pause, the lizard transforms back into the one-armed Kurt Connors, who pledges not to mess with the forces of nature anymore. I love that he gets a he he gets him to drink the antidote as they're like falling down this giant tower. Too. Yeah, they're like it's a mid-air pet feeding basically <laughs> imagine the time that you have tried to like get your dog to take a pill yeah um <laughs> the worst version of that uh and then make it like 10 times worse that, yeah, yeah jump off a building with your dog and try to do that yeah that's what's happening that's pretty much it um so uh peter parker he's like yeah i just did a great thing i gave this guy his life back uh he and he even got some pictures of the lizard um for jameson so he's like hey i'm gonna get paid this is great uh, he returns to the hotel uh, and shows his pictures to Jameson. Parker claims to have bought them from an old Indian guide I met at the edge of the Everglades. Uh, and Jameson immediately says that they're fakes. Uh, he tears them up and he tells Peter he should have to pay him back for his airfare and hotel because <laughs> uh, Jameson's all heart. So yep. typical, uh, you know, Peter Parker luck uh, goes all the way to Florida and comes back with nothing to show for it. Um, and nearly gets killed in the process. So, but, but again, characters, these characters, Martha, Billy, also, as well mm -hmm. as Kurt Connors, are all still like this year playing major roles in plots of uh, Spider Man. Yeah. Yeah. How do you think Spider Man ended up with arguably outside of Batman, one mm -hmm. of the best villains galleries? I, I mean, you have to give Steve Ditko a lot of credit for it. Ditko really had a genius for coming up with villains. The the Doctor Strange villains he comes up with, you know, just like visually um, and character wise are, are pretty great. Like Nightmare and Dormammu, like just guy whose head is on a demon whose head is on fire all the time. Uh, That's pretty rad. Um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it, like uh, he also like really early on, he leaned into the animal theme mm -hmm. um, and that seemed to work really well. I don't know. In some cases, though, it's also maybe Stan, like there, there's a one tender moment when Dr. Connors as the lizard is like crying and writing as he the writes note. the letter. Yeah. 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 He's writing the note to that. Take Billy, leave and never come back because I'm going to go live with the alligators or whatever now. Um, yeah, it is. I forgot how much that moved me because of other uh, weird and hilarious hijinks this month as I read all these comics. Right. But right. Yeah. As we were just talking through it and I'm. I'm not, I'm sniffed up because of allergies, but, uh, <laughs> I'm not crying. I'm fine. I'm fine, but it's tender. Yeah. I just think how these are not throwaway villains and they're introduced really early. The vulture, the mm -hmm. lizard. Doc Ock. Doc Ock. Yeah. These mm -hmm. are introduced early and they're given these incredibly solid, sympathetic, mm -hmm. relatable backstories. These aren't, this is not the melter. This is not the eraser. <laughs> right. Yeah. This is not the lifter or, or. Right. <laughs> The escalator or the elevator. But you would think that, that a villain named the lizard would probably be a, a, a villain of the week kind of tossed aside. Right. And that absolutely does not happen yeah. here. Yeah. There is some genuine thought into this character's backstory, not yeah. this yeah. villain's backstory, yep. this character's backstory. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it, you know, so I think when, when Stan's working with Kirby, they do a really great job of coming up with these like, you know, very cosmic bombastic Kirby villains are, you know, galactus mm -hmm. uh you know like you've got these like major threats these you know a whole nother level of you know almost beyond your comprehension ditko really does lean more into the, like the internal 
he, he's a much more psychological storyteller um, mm-hmm. in comics. Uh, and he, that carries through into his solo stuff as well after he leaves Marvel. Not all of which holds up terribly well, <laughs> given these his, things happen, his yeah. weird politics. But yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I think, like you said, you, you understand why each of these guys does wind up becoming a villain. Um, or staying remaining or remaining yeah. a villain yeah um so yeah. in some cases more than a villain too i mean kurt connors has been on on the side of good off and on over the years sure too. Yeah. yep but i think that goes to your point is that this issue takes not just a beat it takes two pages you know 10 and 11 give this sympathetic backstory mm-hmm. to the lizard so that you you care right which is almost against the comics code Almost. It's like skirting right up Mm -hmm. against that making you feel like the bad guy is okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, I'm paraphrasing because that's what I do. Well, in in, in this story, it also raises the stakes where you don't want to just see Spider-Man beat the lizard. You want to see him cure the lizard. Mm -hmm. So that's makes everything more difficult. Um, Yeah. So in other issues that we've talked about tonight, you know, at the end, they let the villain walk. and You're like, why the hell would you do that? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. Whereas in this one, like, good. Like mm-hmm. there's there's that the arc of redemption yeah yeah mm-hmm. right so, of course spider-man let him walk or more or less, of course peter parker right yeah. you know this yep. teenage idealistic boy mm-hmm. let yeah. him walk yep that is that is exactly surely he is. won't turn into the lizard again and come back <laughs> no i mean he's cured don't be foolish <laughs> that's the last we see the lizard uh all right we got one more left Uh, i think we may have saved one of the best for last so um rob uh why don't you uh take us through the avengers second issue all right the avengers number two the avengers battle the space phantom uh this is written by stan lee art by jack kirby with paul reinman um space phantom is our seventh new villain this month so we were talking about all the villains this is the seventh so he's a shape-shifting alien who comes to earth to test himself against the avengers um if he can defeat them then earth is no match for an invasion by his people yeah that so sounds familiar it's very scrolly so far yeah but that's happened but, with the the rock people there that's just constantly happening the toad yeah. men yeah uh, <laughs> but there, there's a there's a very interesting wrinkle to the space phantom's power which i think makes him more interesting yeah and we've seen this before um he has the power to impersonate anyone nearby then he sends them to limbo the silent world between shadow and substance yes and uh it's also <laughs> the place where unbaptized babies go to die if you're catholic <laughs> <laughs> yeah they don't they don't cover that in the book but it's true um <laughs> God. uh so space phantom which also sounds cool like if yeah. i heard the name space phantom i'd be like yeah let's do this sounds like a badass like psychobilly band or something <laughs> it says, yeah space phantom in disguise as a human passerby infiltrates avengers mansion here's where it gets crazy where everyone's a little cranky with each other and wasp is ogling every dude in sight so this is the the wasp going to man again uh <laughs> just bad <laughs> stan writing for a, a, a lady in the 60s yeah uh, Hulk is the first to investigate and gets replaced immediately by Space Phantom. Um, by the way, the Avengers are just meeting because they're like, well, there's not really a threat, but we figure we should meet regularly to get to know each other. Yeah. Which makes sense. He's so practical. Yeah. Iron Man. Yep. Um, as Space Phantom, as Hulk, returns to the group and immediately starts a brawl. Um, Rick Jones encounters fake Hulk outside and tells him that he'd better get back to his lab because it seems like he's starting to lose control. 
um, Rick quickly figures out that Hulk is not actually Hulk. And after demonstrating his powers, Space Phantom abandons Rick in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. And this is one of those like super overconfident, cocky villain things to do. It's like, okay, helpless human i'm gonna reveal to you every detail of my plan and powers and yeah. uh good luck trying to stop me you never will goodbye he monologues like and then just leaves him and walks uh, space phantom as hulk then attacks a military base which results in iron man showing up to fight him so now we've got civil war um no so space phantom <laughs> quickly changes into an insect and frees hulk from limbo right because as soon as he's no longer hulk then hulk returns from limbo is how this all works yeah a one a, in one the out swap thing. it's yeah. it's a tag team kind of thing it is. <laughs> uh, meanwhile rick jones is hooked up with the teen brigade and calls giant man for help so rick who was left helpless just walked to the nearest place that had a ham radio and got the message to giant man so giant man intervenes in the fight between iron man and hulk Space Phantom imitating an actual wasp kidnap kidnaps a wasp. So he's he's an insect. He's a wasp. He then kidnaps the wasp. Yeah. Uh, and she immediately knows that this is not an actual wasp because it would uh, an actual wasp would never bother her. Right. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> don't know. We haven't really covered all of that yet. But uh, Iron Man, Giant Man and Hulk rush to save her and Space Phantom imitates Giant Man. So this leads to a giant brawl between the Avengers where Space Phantom keeps switching between them to keep them off balance and not trusting each other. So it's the which Kirk is Kirk. Right. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Space Phantom finally tries his trick on Thor, but it doesn't work uh, because it doesn't work on gods. (laughs) So Space Phantom is sent to Limbo instead because Thor is the god of thunder and the power doesn't work. So the Avengers win on a fluke, but the damage is done. They've been fighting each other this whole issue. Um, Hulk takes it especially hard. He's a very, very sensitive guy. He is. He's got feelings right on the surface. Yeah. He says, I never suspected how much each of you hate me deep down. I could tell by the way you fought me, by the remarks you made. Well, I don't need any of you. I'm still the Hulk. I'm still the strongest thing walking the earth. And whatever I do from now on, I do alone. So Hulk lasted one real issue as an Avenger. Yeah, he has yeah, last like one and three quarters issues. Yeah. So, uh, so he quits. Uh, two wasps relief because she's terrified of him. Yeah, and they're all concerned about what he's going to do next. Yeah. So just like it was with uh, Sergeant Fury, like it, it's pretty obvious that Stan and Jack never intended Hulk to be like an ongoing member of the Avengers. Like. He was brought in because he hadn't shown up in comics for a few months because his solo book got canceled. They brought him in to like have him try to be a hero and then like immediately turn him heel and kick him out. And now that relaunches him as a villain, which is how he remains for a while now. Yeah. And and it, so the Avengers might have been conceived as Marvel's version of Justice League, but it's really not playing out that way. No, not at all. Like uh, it, it's a completely like the justice league is basically you know it's all of dc's biggest heroes who just show up and they do kind of generic hero things and you know it's it's like a social club of amiable co-workers yeah. basically and and there's no yeah there's not a the flasher green lantern don't show up and quit in the second issue yeah you know, it's like that's crazy uh so there there are several points where it's made clear that one of the avengers big weaknesses is that they don't really know each other or trust each other yeah yeah uh, and and i mean neither does the justice league but that's never exploited for story purposes like right. they don't know each other's secret identities or anything like that neither the the avengers but the the trust is is not there it never develops um 
it, it makes a much more interesting version of that formula, I think. Yeah, and I think that plays off of the Fantastic Four formula with Ben, and um, he's just always grumpy yeah uh, and barely goes along with things yep so you know they're they're keeping this sort of human element that's compelling these... it's relatable yeah yep i mean everyone's got coworkers who they just have absolutely no desire to do anything with and you know under the right circumstances if you suspected they had been impersonated by uh an alien you'd probably beat the crap out of them and you'd be very you know cautious of them right <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, that's that is all of the issues. There is a lot this month. Yeah, so, nine issues. Yeah. Yep. So let's go ahead and take our our one final break. When we come back, we'll do uh, our panel of the month and uh, our final thoughts. So uh, enjoy the next ten minutes of incidental music, and we'll be right back. <laughs> Welcome back to Marvel by the Month. Now it's time to talk about our panels of the month. Uh, Rob, because I keep stealing yours, I'm going to have you go first this week. Well, you know what's weird? I did not pick your panel again. That's we, why we did I'm this letting you go first Three times this week. in a row. Yeah. yeah. It was... Uh, it was maddening. I would come, I would try to get mine in the notes so I could beat him. Same panel, exact panel. Not this time. My panel is Strange Tales number 114. Weirdly Strange Tales, I know. This is page 14, panel five. This is fake Captain America skate mopping. Um, it's just him. <laughs> he, he's like sliding through a room, grabbing a mop from a janitor and just like sliding on the wet floor. Uh, it's followed up immediately by him like furiously dipping the mop in a bucket, which is also <laughs> hilarious to me. And I don't know why, but I just it made me crack up so much. I scared everyone, scared the cats, scared everyone in the house. And I, you know, rarely guffaw like yes. that. So it was hilarious to me. And I just kept thinking of it as like a PSA, like the the sort of new Captain America PSAs that are like, keep your floors clean. and. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. Well, and it's a Jack Kirby panel. So, you know, even ridiculous action, Jack does it better than anyone. <laughs> yeah. um, I also uh, did a Jack Kirby panel for my panel of the month this month. Um, and uh, it is Fantastic Four number 20, page 17, panel four. So this is um, after the Fantastic Four have returned to New York and tried and failed to um, stop the uh, Molecule Man. Uh, they retreat via the subway. I just think it's such a great way to indicate just how desperate their situation is um, where, you know, they don't have their fantastic car. They don't have um, any of their gadgetry. They don't have anywhere to retreat to. They literally just have to get on the subway uh, and get out of there. Um, and it also just kind of underscores the, um, you know, like the real world aspect of the Marvel universe. Like this is how you get around New York when you don't have a car. Um, you use the subway, um, which I think is pretty sweet. So the way he's drawn Ben's face too, it's just, it's, he's like so disappointed and, and uh, he's saying, this is a heck of a way for America's sweethearts to travel. Yeah. And uh, he just looks so bummed. Yep. It's like a really cartoony, cute Benjamin Grimm. Yeah. And, yeah. and no matter how dire a situation is, Ben can always find a way to complain about it. So, <laughs> And safety first, you know, he's holding the pole. Yeah. Reed Richards is holding onto the handle. Safety first. Exactly. Yeah. Levi, do you have a panel? I did pick a panel for oh, this nice. month. So it's from uh, Sergeant Fury and it's page uh, six mm -hmm. and it's panel two. So the way Kirby draws human faces has always fascinated yeah. me. Yeah. The way in which he arranges features, you know, the eyes are sometimes a, maybe a little too 
wide or they're a little off center or the way in which he where he situates the nose on the face mm-hmm. and so the the villain here baron is it baron haha lord yes. lord haha yes his riff on like a claude rains david niven you know <laughs> style uh villain like it was one of those like i just kind of kept going back to that page I don't know, the way he draws human faces, I think is fascinating. I mm-hmm. think he's a genius. Yeah. Um, but there's just the way he is so smarmy and loathsome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he captures it in a single panel, in a single uh, expression. And uh, I, I don't know, like, I was just awestruck. I was like, that is, that's perfect. Yeah. yeah. That takes... I hate him. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, he's... Every time I try to draw any expression, I'm like, oh, I screwed that eye up now. Let's throw mm-hmm. this one away. Um this doesn't look scared anymore. It looks like they're interested or whatever. And you yeah. can just nail that. Yeah. Yep. Good job, gentlemen. Three strong panels uh, for a pretty strong month of comics. So I think that brings us to the end of this happy adventure. Levi, thank you so much for joining us again. Thank you for having me back. Yeah. And congratulations on all of the success of Pink Hearts. I cannot wait to get my hands on this. Thank you so much. Um, so we'll be getting at least two issues of that now. Um, and yeah, more issue, to come. Issue one at the... Uh, at the end of October, beginning of November, mm-hmm. and issue two uh, at the uh, probably sometime mid uh, mid February. Nice, excellent. That's awesome. Well, congratulations. Thank again. you so much. Yeah. yeah. Also, uh, we should mention uh, that we had uh, some engineering assistance uh, tonight Ooh, yes, by our, our silent partner here at the table, uh, Mr. J.L. Watkins, a former guest on the show. Um, so thank you, J.L., so much for helping us out. Um, and you don't have a mic in front of you, so you're welcome. There you go. That's that audio production <laughs> Probably quality. Probably a future for. guest as well. Oh um, yes, I we'll think give so. him a mic again. Yes, for sure. And we'll get we'll let you read some good comics this time, because um, <laughs> as I recall, that last batch was not so good. Uh, and Rob, thank you for for braving illness to uh, make it here and, yeah. and talk comics uh, tonight. That is, uh, it's my pleasure. I did take a little bit of cold medicine, so I feel pretty good. Nice. Yeah. Right on. Well, um, let's wrap this up so you can go home and do a lot more of that. Uh, if you want to drop us a line, marvelbythemonth at gmail.com. Find us on the web, marvelbythemonth.com. And uh, all of our social medias are on there. But uh, definitely check out our Instagram, at marvelbythemonth. And that's that. So uh, until next week, I'm Brian Stratton. And I am Rob Mill. And we will see you next week for next month. Bye.